So, the Great Commission. Before we start, let's go to our Father in prayer. Our loving, gracious Father, um, once again, we're just thankful for this time to be together. And Father, more particularly, as we take the opportunity to dwell in your word, Father, may we take it to our hearts and to our minds so that when we leave this place, Father, um, we're uplifted, we're encouraged, and being ever mindful, Father, that we are your ambassadors. We're about taking your word on board and seeing it work in our lives. Father, we thank you for this time of sharing together. It's your Lovingston's name that we now pray. Amen. I've been talking about evangelism um, this year. And many of you know on Sunday evenings um, we're going through a book learning how to disciple and how to evangelise. And so I've been thinking about that. I thought, well, why don't we use the Bible? See what they did when it came to evangelising and discipling. So um, let's just start with this passage here. Um, we talk about, we talk about, you hear all these scholars talk about bookends, you know, there's something at this end and there's something at that end and it's everything in between. Well, I kind of suspect this is Luke's bookend at the end. So let's read it together. As they were talking about these things, now what they're talking about here is you'll recall Jesus is now resurrected and he's been on the road to Amamos with, the, um, with these two guys who don't know who he is. And they're saying, do you know what's been going on in Jerusalem? He's like, no, I don't know, don't know. And they're stunned that he doesn't know. So Jesus starts talking to them about what, all about things concerning himself. So those two guys turn back to Jerusalem to tell the eleven. And here we go. As they were talking about these things, so they're recounting it, Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? That it is my eye myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> and they gave him a piece of boiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him 
and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Luke here in 24 recounts the one thing on which all Christianity hangs and stands or falls, the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, it says, if the resurrection did not happen and we believe it did, then we're fools. So all Luke is building through all these miracles, through all the story to get to this. This is critical. And you remember why he wrote gospel. He wrote in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, it also seemed good to me since I have carefully, those are carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence. Notice that, orderly sequence, most honourable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Let's look at a little section of this verse. In verse 44, he goes on to say, and we observe here, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. So here Jesus prepares them for the mission. This is the mission. He tells them they must preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations starting in Jerusalem. They can't remain in the room afraid to go anywhere. They've got to get out. And where have they got to go to? They must go to the people who murdered Jesus and to all the world telling others that he is risen. And there is forgiveness with God. That's their purpose. And they will do it in the power of the promise of God, who is the Holy Spirit. And since that very day, Christians have been doing that exact thing. Why? Because we have a biblical faith and we're witnesses of those things. So let's look back in Luke chapter 5 where all this started to come together. We're going to start with a fishing story, unlike Terry's which is all over the shop. This is, this is a true story. I don't know about these big fish, but this is a true fishing story. It was a big fishing story, but not about a big fish. We read here where the crowd's pushing in on, on, the, on the Lord, on Jesus. Uh, they want to hear his word. So he gets into a boat and he wants to teach them about God. So in verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, On one occasion, while the crowd were pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put it out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Can you imagine Peter? He'd <laughs> been fishing all night. Come on, give me a break. Give me a break. But he's going to humour Jesus. He's okay, we'll go out. Throw the net over. Astonishing. Filled two boats. Amazing. How's he feeling? Well, this is how he's feeling. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Something has happened to Peter in that little observation. Something more profound has happened in his mind. It's like he, he glimpsed the Lord's glory and his holiness. And in the light of that, Peter sees his own sin. He sees his own heart. And seeing that glory and holiness reminds him, oh, he can't be with me. I can't, oh, this holiness can't be with me. So he says, depart, get away, get away, get away. And what do you see happens next? This holiness, which Peter doesn't want anything to do with, because it highlights his sin, says, hey, come to me, come to me. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. I can just imagine that after Peter Amos got baptised and we said to him, Pete, come join the family. We're going to go out and catch men. What are you talking about? Peter's just catching fish. Now someone says to him, we're going to go catch men. <laughs> How would you be? Amazing. This holiness says, come with me. Come with me, sinner, because we're going to be out there catching men. That's what we're going to be doing. And then they left everything and followed him. When you think about that, there's got to be an experience of some enormous transformation. Enormous. They're fishermen. They left everything. 
And Jesus talks about that. You'll leave family and everything else. You can't come follow me. Now, Johan, I'm not professing that you sell everything up and go wear sackcloth and run around. But there's something special about this, knowing Jesus. Is there not? These people said, oh, leave everything behind, we're going. Everything behind. These sinners have a new purpose, they have a new direction, and they have a new call from being fishermen. So here it begins. Jesus, the first person to make disciples, to follow him. Let's move along to Acts chapter 8. Now we know that in Acts chapter 2, Peter started doing the things he was supposed to do in Jerusalem, got up, gave a great message, fantastic message, 3,000 people saved. Great message. But of course what happens after that is they're starting to get persecuted. right? And as we get into Acts chapter 8, We've just read about prior to this, Stephen being stoned. Okay? And this Saul, who we now know as Paul, approved of the stoning of Stephen. That's an amazing thing in its own. So let's just read this. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Stephen Jesus, you know, here we see Paul, really angry turkey. What? He's killing people. Now he's dragging them out of their homes. And as a result of that, they all scatter. But interestingly, this same Paul, who Jesus manages to transform, says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, this saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. I am the worst of them. Peter's a sinner, Paul's a sinner. So we see they're all scattered throughout Judea Judea and Samaria, which reminds us of the Great Commission, of course, from going to be scattered, you're going to preach in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. So they're all scattered throughout those regions. And I mean, I can imagine they would have been very fearful for their lives and they would have taken off. And then we see, now those who were scattered weren't about preaching the word. Amazing. Amazing. Did you, did you notice that uh, no Bibles, no iPhones, no iPads, 
No books. What were they preaching? They're preaching the word with no books, no iPads. Isn't that amazing? And not only that, they're scared to the teeth. They've just left Jerusalem because they're worried sick about what's going to happen to themselves. Amazing. Oh, did you notice that they're just ordinary people? No names. No names. Doesn't say teachers, preachers, pastors. says nothing. Just those who were scattered. Judea and Samaria, it would have been a nice walk out of Jerusalem for them. But what? What about this? The A-teams at home. The big heavy headers. Where are they? They're still in Jerusalem. They let the mob go. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Go do what you've got to do. And they just preach the word. Incredible. Incredible. And when we think about Samaria, that reminds me of John chapter 4 and the woman at the well. What's she saying? You Jew asking me for water? What is that? So these very people from Jerusalem are going into Samaria and they're preaching the word to the very people who don't like them. Oh, did not Jesus make that promise that there will come a day when you will get to worship the Lord in truth? Well, it's happening. Because these people with no books, no iPhones, no iPads are preaching the word. Ordinary Christians. Amateurs, if you will. Went about preaching the word on their own. Here we see God redeeming the world through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit. How? Working through ordinary, everyday people like you and me. That's how he's doing it. Everyday people like you and me. Let's go on. Acts chapter 11. We're now moving to Antioch. The journey continues. Um, Some of them walk from Jerusalem, which is a uh, a minimum of a two-week walk, unless you're on a donkey. might be a bit quicker, but it's a two-week walk up there, all along the coast. Antioch was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. They reckon it had about 500,000 people there. Um, its nickname was the Queen of the East, very cosmopolitan commercial city, very diverse city too. It had um, Arabs, Egyptians, Africans, Indians, Asians, Greeks, Romans, Syrians. They're all there, 
all of them. So let's read in Acts chapter 11. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Cyprus is a little island off the, Phoenicia is just south of Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except Jesus, sorry, speaking the word to no one except Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and sought a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. We're told, again, those were scattered after Stephen moved up here. Some of them spoke the word to no one except Jews. They kind of understand that because if you're Jews, you want to hang out with Jews. So they're talking to Jews, right? So that's acceptable. But what are they doing? They're speaking the word. Scattered. Ordinary people. But look at the next bunch of blokes. Now, Cyprus is a little island off Greece. Cyrene is in North Africa. North Africa. So they've had to come up through Jerusalem, up the coast, up the top. And who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists, the Greeks, or the Gentiles. No Bibles, no iPads, no iPhones. How do they do that? How do they do that? They've travelled all this way, yet they're still up there and they're preaching the Lord Jesus. And they're not particularly special people. They're ordinary people. No names. No names. And they're still fearful of what happened in the past, but they're up there preaching the word. These guys from Africa come up here and they preach to the Greeks and the Gentiles. Talk about breakdown barriers. You get, a, you get a 500,000 people in the city full of Egyptians, Indians, Asians, Greek. What a hot pot for trouble. But they're in there preaching the Lord Jesus. And look what happens next. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Ordinary people talking to other people about the Lord Jesus. And for some reason, these people in Antioch believed them. (laughs) They believed them. With no books, they believed them. 
I got them to follow Jesus and believe him and turn to him. And Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This only appears three times throughout the scriptures. Um, here um, in Peter, First Peter chapter 4 verse 16 and Acts chapter 26 and 28. This is not about them calling themselves Christians. This is outsiders calling them Christians. Huh? So you had this big city, Antioch, with all these foreign people in it. They must have made a difference because they're calling them Christians. There must have been something different to these people. The way they led their life, the way that they did things caused people to say they're Christians. Not Asians, not Egyptians, nothing else. They're Christians. These evangelists, these disciple makers, were ordinary people. And when they were doing the work of the Lord, he was with them. He was with them. And we notice about Barnabas, which is interesting, um, Antioch became an absolutely famous church. It sent out Paul and Barnabas. It was raising money. And if you go to um, Acts chapter 13, you will see that they had, they had leaders there who were Jews, Gentiles, Africans. Talk about a multinational church. But they got together. And Jerusalem heard about, this has got to be fantastic news. What's going on over there? So they sent Barnabas in. And what's Barnabas's observations? Remain faithful. So obviously they were faithful because he's asking them to remain faithful. They're doing some good things there. And, you know, he doesn't go in there and tell them to change a whole pile of things, does he? He encourages them. Barnabas, son of encouragement, he encourages them. And for that, God describes him as a good man. A good man. And why is he a good man? Because he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of faith. And he's a good man. Because he's encouraging people to do the things that God wanted done. So, where does that leave us? There's examples of people making disciples, evangelising. I'm sure you've all got your point accessory in your pocket, haven't you? Or in your bag? That's where it starts, you see. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things because God is behind us. 
And I kind of suspect, you know, when I think about all these people with no iPads, no iPhones, no, no, no books, what on earth convinced people to listen to them? I kind of think it was, they told them how they became a Christian. I was a sinner and I heard this story about Jesus. And I heard this story about if I follow Jesus and get baptised, I can have eternal life. I can live a different life. I can have hope. I can be in heaven. I kind of suspect that they said um, why I became a Christian. Why I became a Christian. I kind of suspect they told them that too. And then I suspect they said What's changed in my life since I became a Christian? Three little things that you can talk about yourself with no book, no iPad and no iPhone. And guess what? When you, when you, when you talk to people about what's going on in here, think of the words. Sincere. Committed. Convicted. That's how we talk to people without the books. It affected me. I've got to tell you, the day I got baptised, it was amazing. I come up out of that water and I was like, I have a whole new life. It was incredible. And I can see the joy of heaven. And I sit back now after 60 odd years and I can see God's role in my life and it's been absolutely stunning. And I'm an ordinary person. I'm no theologian. I'm no scholar. I'm just like you guys. Ordinary. But I'm ordinary and I know God loves me. And I live for the hope of eternal life. Your story, your story can be compelling to others. The Apostle John closed out in Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 17. After this... I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, 
You know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be the shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The scope of God's salvation is global. The scope of his salvation is glorious. We all desperately need a shepherd for our souls. The nations need a shepherd for their souls who will guide them to springs of living water and will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How can he do this? He can do it because he washed us clean, made our robes white in the blood of the lamb. The lamb who is a lion in verse 5 is also the one who is our shepherd. All of this has one focus, one direction, and only one deserving object to our God forever and ever. It's not temporary. It's eternal. I've asked Craig to lead us in a song to talk about this is our story. This is our song, praising our Saviour. And when we do it, all the day long.